Howdy y'all and welcome to this week's podcast where I get a chance to sit down with a mentor of mine, a friend of mine, Ronald Glenn Hoggett. And no, that's not his actual middle name. We find out that in the, in the podcast, find out what his real middle name is, given middle name. It's just a fun story about Ronnie's history, where he came from, where he grew up, what it was, his life was like, how he got on the fire department and the people that influenced him and along the way and some of his adventures and funny stories as well so i hope you enjoy the show and leave a comment a rating something on your favorite podcast platform to help promote the show i sure would appreciate it thanks i'm here today with ronald glenn hoggett is that your really is that your really your middle name ronald glenn no that's just what he tagged on me oh. years ago <laughs> So what, like is your, what is your full given name? Ronald Edis. Edis? Edis. Edis. E-D-I-S. E-D-D-I-S. Ronald Edis. Ronald Edis. That's an interesting name. Is that a family name? I only know two people that had that name. That was one of my grand, my grandfather and me. Okay. I had never heard it anywhere else. I've never heard it either. Never heard it either. I got a grandson that's got... He okay. got tagged with it. Jake, yeah, boy. So the, there's three now? There's three now. Your boy? Yep. Heston Edis. Heston Edis. Yep. I like it. Where, tell us when you were born, where you were born, and your parents' name, your mother's maiden name, if you know okay. that. I was born at St. Paul Hospital in Dallas in, uh, on November the 27th, 1948, and was raised in Oak Cliff. And my mother's name was Violet Grace Hoggett Rhodes. She was a Rhodes, and she was born in Orange County in East Texas. My father's name was Burl Lee, and he was born in Bartlett, Texas. Do you remember the names or uh, anything about grandparents on either side? Yeah, my mother's daddy's name was uh, Johnny Rhodes. And my grandfather was Theodore Edis Hoggett on my father's side. Okay. What about their, your grandmother? My grandmother? Mm-hmm. Her name was Katie Wofford. She was 80, 87 or 88 when she passed away. Okay. She is from East Texas also. About your grandmother on your, what, what side was she That's on? That's on my mother's side. Okay. And on my daddy's side, my grandmother's name was Myrtle Mandy Johnson. She was from Rifle, Colorado. What do you remember about them? Did you were you around them a good bit when you were young, or no? My, grand, my, my, my father's mother died when I was before I was born, and my mother's mother died when I was about uh, 25, I guess. And I was around her quite a bit. What do you remember about your grandparents? What did they do? What? My grandmother was, Katie, was cool. She was a lot of fun to be around. Laugh and you could joke with her and have a lot of fun with her. Yeah. And I remember that she would cook anything we'd bring her. <laughs> Possum, armadillo, coon, it didn't matter. Really? Turtles. Yeah, she'd cook it. How would she cook a turtle? I, I don't know, <laughs> in a pot on a stove, oh. I don't know, but it was good. That's and... 
everything. She'd go hunting with her son, mm-hmm. and she's just fun to be around. If she went, she never had a driver's license her whole life. Really, never drove. If she wanted to go somewhere, she just go catch a bus. bus what did she stop. live? She lived on Simpson Stewart and okay. Road in, in Dallas, uh-huh. and she was married five times. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I called her my introduced her to Linda, my, my wife, as yeah. my marrying grandmother, <laughs> and she'd say, "Oh, Ronald," and she said, she told Linda, she said, "Well, I, I just just divorced one of them. I buried the rest of them." <laughs> <laughs> For real? Yeah. yeah. Oh wow! But she was a lot of fun to be around, and. and she was raised in East, born and raised down in East Texas, and then one of her sons moved down there, so she did too, and just where she died was in East Texas, and really? she's buried down there, yeah, Woodville, Jasper, that area. And what about any other grandparents that you remember what they were like? And- well, my, uh, her mother was still alive whenever I was growing up. So your great-grandmother? My great-grandmother, yeah, and her, and her name was, uh, I can't even think of her first name, but she was Rhodes, and we had okay. just called her Grandma Rhodes. Yeah. They lived right there on the edge of the big thicket. And, man, there was all kinds of stories going around. Some of them I can't tell, but... <laughs> You're shitting me. No. <laughs> Colorful. <laughs> but, what, was, uh, what, what, what area of town would today be the big thicket back then? Was that around the Dallas area? No, it was down there in oh, okay. Trinity River. Oh, okay. In East Texas down there. I got you. Big thicket. Yeah, I'd, Ken folks supposedly went in there and never came out. I never saw him anymore. Do you uh, do you get to spend time with your granddad's any? Well, my, my grandmother's last husband's name was Jim Wofford, and I got to spend some time with him. Yeah. Hey, Jim was one of those heavy set jolly men, okay. and he was a lot of fun to be around and always joking. And he worked. He was a maintenance man on the the building downtown. I guess. The name, I forgot the name of it, but it's the one with a flying red horse on it. Yeah. It's spinning around. Mobile it, oil? Well, yeah. yeah. And or was it Shell? Pegasus. Pegasus, yeah. Pegasus, it's mobile, yeah. mobile, I think. Mobile. But I'd be over at Granny's and she'd say, it's time for Jim to eat lunch. He worked in action, but it was, he was eating and he's right there underneath that horse waving at us, right back at him and I'd wave, you know. <laughs> and that's, that's funny. But... He was real, a lot of fun. He liked to fish, and I'd go fishing with him. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of fun growing up yeah. around him. So you grew up mostly where? In the what part of town or what part of I grew Texas? up in, well, I, in, over on Sister Stewart there in Oak Cliff, but I graduated from high school in Lancaster. We moved to Colorado in 1960 and lived up there for a little while, and we moved back, we moved back to Lancaster. Took y'all to Colorado, you reckon? Well, my dad was working on the, back in the 50s. They had those uh, Nike bases, those satellite missile right bases around. Mm-hmm. And he was in Terrell putting the elevators in one of those silos, and he got his hand mashed real bad. And they put him off work for a year. And he went up there to visit. My mother's sister lived up there in Monte Vista. And they went up there for a visit in one of the uh, produce buyers up there like like my dad and he hired him and we moved up there. What do you remember about your life with your folks and your friends and your siblings? What did y'all do? What did y'all enjoy? What I mean? Well, my parents 
they let mother and daddy both like to fish, and we would fish, go fishing a lot. And uh, they on the weekends, you know, the the parents played dominoes and canasta. The women played canasta, and the men played dominoes. And the kids played outside where they were supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> and if you come in the kitchen where they're playing, you better just be there for a second to get a drink, and then you're back outside. Yeah. We uh, we had a lot of fun. We played hide and go seek, kicked the can, mm-hmm. and we threw rocks at cars. <laughs> and everything else. Like can. No, I thought they just told me to go do that. <laughs> So, what, what what was the game of kick the can? Was it just a, well, you had was a there a purpose of the base. game? Yeah, you had a can on base. If the guy that was it caught you, he put you in jail, and somebody would come and kick the can where you could run and hide again. Okay. He had to come back and get the can and put it back on base. I just thought it was like kicking a can, but I just walk in. I never knew the the official rules of kick the can. Well, we made up our own as we right. went, but I mean, that's, that was a gist of it. There was a lot of kids in the neighborhood, cousins and just neighbor kids, and we played all the time. Yeah. How many I, siblings did you have? Well, I had uh, a brother and three sisters, and my, two of my sisters have passed away, and my brother lives in Athens, and my sister lives in Uvalde. Where's mine and ours? Uh, my mother had the three when my, her and my dad got married, and he had one, and then they had me. Okay. So you're the only child of those two? Of those two, yeah. One of a kind, truly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll deal with that. I had what, good parents. <laughs> what were, uh, let's go, you remember all your stepbrother and your stepsister's name? Yeah. What are their names? My brother's name is Dale Wayne Hoggett, and... My youngest sister was Keith Leona. The middle sister was Ada Lou. That was my dad's daughter. And my oldest sister was Wanda Fern. And who were her parents? Was Mother was, her first husband was a guy named Johnny Rhodes. Okay. And she had, okay. before she divorced him, she had, no, she had three and daddy had one. What were you good at when you were young? Um, were you an athlete? Were you mechanically inclined? Were you like an engineer? Were you just like a brainiac? Or No, I was no brainiac. I never was one of them. But I always worked with my hands. I worked with my dad, and he taught me a lot of stuff. I used to drive nails. We had Back then, you didn't have concrete steps. You had wooden steps. Mm-hmm. And I drove probably 50 pounds of nails in them wooden steps. And I'd hit my finger and bust them and cry a while and then change fingers and hold the nail over there. <laughs> and I did all kinds of mechanical stuff. You were know. you building steps or were they no, just, just the same old set of steps? You just practicing? I was just nails. driving nails. <laughs> That's an important skill. Yeah. You, well, learn not to, you run out of fingers for long if you don't get good at it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> then you can get a pair of pliers and hold them and do yeah, that. Yeah, you start just using get them tools. Started, you know. yeah. It's what separates us from the animal. He'd bring... He was in the elevator business, construction business, and they shipped a lot of that stuff in wooden crates. And he'd bring out old crate material home, and I'd clean it up, and we built chicken pens and hog pens and playhouses and tree houses and everything out of that stuff. What kind of elevators? Like in hotels? Yeah. Or the any, silo elevators? No, hotels. Any kind of elevator, he'd, he could put them in. Passenger mostly. 
passenger? Yeah. And my great-grandfather on my mother's side put one of the first elevators in Dallas, and it was a dumbwaiter. Mm-hmm. And he fell seven floors. And back then they used a lot of rope, block and tackle and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and they had a rope hanging in the hatch, and it had a big loop in it. And he said he was, and he fell apparently head first, and he saw that loop coming up, and he just put his hands out and parted that loop, and it caught him around his, around his shoulders and chest, like to jerk him in two, he said, but he, but it saved his life. Oh, wow. Yeah. Some Superman stuff there. Yeah, he was a little bitty guy, though, too, wow. you know. And, but, I mean, you fall that far. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're looking for something to grab onto. Yeah, you bet. Man. Incredible. When he died, he was in his 90s, early 90s, and had ever a tooth in his head. He didn't never had a cavity. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? It is. I thought it was. A, it's a kid, you know, you, that kind of thing. It's pretty interesting to you. What did you do in, you went to high school in Lancaster, is that right? Yeah. What were your hopes and dreams as a young man in high school? What were you looking to do I in your life? I wanted to be a cowboy. Really? What did that... What did that specifically mean to you, being a cowboy? Riding horses and punching cows and that sort of thing. Anyway, my dad got some money together and bought me an old pony. And I rode that thing to him. He couldn't ride no more. So <laughs> I had a lot of fun with him. Yeah. Did you ride bareback or a yeah, saddle? Yeah, I couldn't afford a saddle. We yeah. couldn't afford you a saddle. You had pony. You had one step at a time. You couldn't get right. a pony and a saddle. Yep. He came off the reservation in Oklahoma, uh-huh. off the Choctaw Reservation. The pony did. We rode him. All the neighborhood kids would ride him, you know, and mm-hmm. hang on his tail and crawl underneath him, and he was just a, a kid pony is what yeah. he was. Then I got older, and I needed something a little faster and a little meaner, you know. <laughs> then what did you get? Another bigger pony? No, I bought a thoroughbred from a kid down the street from us. And... Uh, she liked to kill everybody that got on her. <laughs> she was crazy. <laughs> My old buddy. She was we fast. Went down, went down to, yeah, yeah, she was fast. We uh, went down to get her, and a friend of mine, well, he married my cousin, so. Anyway, he said, how you going to get her home? You going to lead her? And I said, no, I'm riding her. And I got on her, and I had just plowed the field, the pasture where I was, and the ground was pretty soft. I got on her and she threw me so high my nose started. <laughs> <laughs> and I come down and hit that. Soft dirt. Soft dirt. Luckily. Yeah, luckily. And then I said, no, I think I laid her home. So I laid her home. And we tried to ride her and every time we rode her, she'd throw a fit. She'd be okay for a little while and then all of a sudden it's like you flipped the switch. You get tired of it? Yeah, and you were going. The only one that ever ride her was one of my nieces and she'd ride her anywhere. Really? Yeah. You think... Horses like have a either a connection with somebody or they don't. Or like I said, they'll they'll let one person ride her. That's yeah, kind of the right. It's animal instinct is what they do. Yeah, yeah. To a person. But she ride him, ride her anywhere. Really? But I couldn't get on her. <laughs> one time I was I was down, I was riding her. I said, well, you know, I was young and dumb, and I said I'm gonna ride her. I'm gonna kill her. So I was down in the pasture checking the fence. I had electric fence and was running some cows down there. And on the way back home to the house, she broke. And when she did, she took off and she could run. I mean, right now, 
And I reached around and I grabbed her, put my finger in the, ring, the D-rings on her bridle and pulled her around and we were looking like eye to eye, you know. But she never broke stride. <laughs> we just kept going. We got out on Simpson Skirt and we passed three trucks in a car. <laughs> and I, I was holding my breath and then when we got to the, she ran up to the gate going into the pasture. I got off of her and I was shaking so bad and weak in my knees I couldn't stand up. And Granny comes out and she said, what, what's wrong with you? And I said, well, I just had a good ride on the horse. But I remember passing those guys in those trucks. And they like, I said, what are you doing, you idiot? Oh, that's funny. You had a, you did, have, I remember, I think you drove us by the old family place on, uh, off of Simpson Stewart. Yeah. Right? It was real close to where Interstate 45 runs? Yeah, it was uh, Simpson Sturt and Rhodes Lane. Rhodes Lane? Yeah, okay. Zoni Road. Named after the family? Yeah, the Rhodes Lane was, but I don't know where they got the Zoni from. Did it show up mm -hmm. on old maps? Still does, mm -hmm. Rhodes Lane, still yeah. there. Yeah, it, it's a, it was a fun time growing up over there because every Friday we had dog killing. We'd come home from school and we'd start digging graves and on Saturday morning, my dad and all my uncles would kill dogs and cats, strays. Yeah. Did they get dumped <laughs> off down there? Yeah, or? everybody in town brought their old dogs out there and dumped them off. Yeah. They'd come up and, you know, and grab it. Mother putting her and the women, when they hang their clothes out on the clothesline, mm -hmm. they yeah. had to fight them, and then they'd fight, get in fights with the other dogs and cats. Right. And, that was, uh, yeah, that's, don't come growling at us. Yeah, that's right. Well, he killed one one time, a big old child dog. He's a pretty nice dog, nice looking. You could tell it belonged to somebody, but he asked everybody in the neighborhood and they put the word out and nobody knew where the dog came from. Well, he shot it and it wasn't alone. The guy was knocking on his door. He killed my son's dog. Well, I tried to get in touch with everybody and let them know that I had him. Mm -hmm. I mean, you should have kept him on the leash. <laughs> so the guy said, I'm going to sue you. And he, Daddy said, well, get after it. And he did. He sued him. And it went to court. It, judge Richburg was a, was a judge in, in Oak Cliff. And uh, he come, called him in there, you know, and he went over the case and everything. And both of them told a story. And Daddy said, well, I told that guy, he said, you should keep your dog up, Mr. Hoggett. You don't be shooting no more dogs. And he said, Course dismissed, y'all can leave. But he said, Mr. Hoggett, I need to talk to you. And Daddy said, Oh, man, I don't know what was fixing to happen. Yeah. And he called him up there and he said, Let me tell you, he said, You call the dog pound next time this, this happens. And if they don't come out there, you get your gun and you shoot them. <laughs> and if I find out that you didn't, you hadn't, you're going to be in trouble again with me. He said, That man was wrong and you were right for the uh -huh. way that dog was acting. Yeah. So that was one of the. He's, he's buried out there somewhere in the dog cemetery. <laughs> Sometimes we'd fill it about half full. The judge dogs, dogs, cats, it didn't matter. Yeah. That was a but, bad part about living in the country. You would, you would end up with stuff like that. Yeah. I and mean, people just drop them off, dump them off. Yep. They do it here, too. Yeah. So what year did you graduate high school? 68. And then you went? Off to an Ivy League college? Yeah, El Centro, downtown. <laughs> Singer Harris. El Centro was downtown in 68? Yeah, it's in old Singer Harris building. <clears throat> Singer Harris Institute of Technology. Singer Harris Institute. What did they teach <laughs> you there? Everything. <laughs> Sewing? No, they didn't teach that, but they taught 
English, and it was a junior college, so you could go and get your the bad stuff out of the way before you went to the university. Then I left. I got married. Bad mistake, the first time. And <laughs> Practice marriage? Yeah, then moved to East Texas. I went to school in East Texas State. Did you graduate there? No, I didn't graduate. I, I flunked out and then I got drafted. <laughs> so, and my ex-wife was having trouble anyway, but we separated. But I, uh, about a week after I flunked out, I got a little postcard from Uncle Sam. Come on down, take your physical. We we'll, we got a spot for you in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. That's where everybody was going. So yeah. I did, and uh, I had been working those cattle auctions and sale barns while I was going to school, and I, and I got kicked in the, the knee by one a big old cow, and I thought it was broke, but it wasn't. It just messed messed up those uh, tendons in there. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I went down to take my physical, they gave you a list of stuff to check off. Have you ever had this? Have you ever had that? And the old sergeant said, let me tell you right now, don't lie about any of this. Mm -hmm. If you do, and I catch you, you're going to be in real trouble. So I had gone to the doctor with my knee, and the doctor told me, he said, yeah, you got a trick knee. And he said, one of these days you're going to have to have it operated on. So there was, have you ever had diabetes, a heart attack, cancer, or anything, you know, and those kind of questions. And there was a spot there for a trick knee. Have you ever had a trick knee? And I checked yes. Trick knee. That was yeah. actually on the form. That was trick on knee. that paper, yep. So he, we get in there and he called me up. He said, who's hogging? And I said, that's that's me. And he said, you check down there, you got a trick knee. He said, what happened? Now, tell me about it. And I told him, and he said, well, let me tell you, what I'm, will you go see one of my doctors? And I said, sure. I, you know, I was ready to go anyway. He made an appointment for me to go see a doctor in Old Baylor. That was a military doctor, I guess. I'm not better, but Methodist. So I went over there and he had me do a bunch of exercises and stuff, and he checked me over real good. And he said, "What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna defer you for six months." And he said, "In six months, we'll get back in contact with you and see how your knee's doing." So I said, "Okay." So that's what we did. Well, within that six months is when they banned the draft, and then I got a letter from him. Well. Let me back up a little bit. They come me back down there, and and I went up they, to this guy's office, and I never forget it. He was leaned back in his chair, and he had his feet up on his desk, and he was reading the field and stream, eating his lunch, and he had a quart of milk there. And he, you know, I don't know why you remember things like that, but you do. So any, anyway, he said, "What do you want?" And I said, "Well, and I had him in papers out, and he grabbed them and looked at him." He said, is your knee still bothering you? And I said, no. And he laid him down on that table and he got that rubber stamp and he went to stamping the papers and everything. And he handed it back over his shoulder. I never saw his face the whole time. And he said, take these to Sar Sergeant Smith down the hall, the third door on the left. And I went down there and gave him to Sergeant Smith. And he said, well, go home and get your everything in order. You know, sell what you're going to sell and, and get your wife and your kid moved into wherever you need to go because in 90 days you're gone. And I said, okay. So within that 90 days is when they banned the draft and they started pulling them out of now. Oh, really? Yeah, and the next thing I heard from them was 4F, declassified, and I didn't have to go. So you were married and had a yeah. 
your first son at that time? Yeah. And what's his name? Justin. I'd heard, didn't, uh, early on during <laughs> Vietnam and stuff, did, were they not taking guys yeah. with kids or guys that were married? Yeah, well, or we heard they, they didn't, but I think they did. They get a, yeah, I know some guys that got drafted that had kids, okay. but they had, the, they had the lottery, you know. And, mm -hmm. I'd heard, I heard about it. Yeah, we all got together and went over to a friend of mine's house named Mike Shrutman. And uh, they drew the numbers for us watching it on was TV. It, so was that like every Thursday night or was No, it, it was a one-time deal. Oh, really? Once a year that I know of. I, never, I only watched it one time. Okay. And they pulled the first number they pulled was Sweatman's. His mother was in there with us. Really? Yeah, and he, she started crying, and I think Mike did too. But he was one of the first ones to go when they got him. Mine was 46. Mm -hmm. And... Uncle David's was 365. So those guys that had those big numbers, they didn't have to worry about anything. They never got down even close to it. Okay, so anybody that had a one, they were yeah. kind of in that first wave of... The first, yep. I got you. And there was some of them that didn't come back. That, sure. Now, Swepman came back, but he died not long after he, he got back. He was an alcoholic, turned into a wino or an alcoholic and drinker. A whole lot, and I think he died in alcoholic poisoning. Yeah. Yeah. That's a shame. After that, you didn't go to Vietnam, so at some point, weren't going to college anymore, so then what, just go to work? Or? I went to work building houses with two friends of mine. No, let me back up on that, too. I applied for a job on a ranch out in Ferris, Texas. Another friend of mine that was milking cows out there for Charlie Bruton told me about the job and I went and applied for it and got it. And we moved from Commerce out there and I worked on that ranch for a year or so. Then what? Then where'd you? Then after that, I started building houses with uh, those two friends. We built a lot of houses. We built one of the first ones in the Webb Harris subdivision out there around the lake. Which lake is that? Uh, what's that lake out there? Huh? Ray Hubbard. Ray Hubbard, yeah. Okay. Rehovered. And then we built houses all over anywhere we could go to build a house. <laughs> we built them and then I applied for a job for the fire department. How'd you come across that or find out about it? Well, I had some friends, Gardy and Curtis Crater and Ronnie, uh, Mitch Williams. Yeah. Mitch wasn't a farmer, you know, but, but those other ones were. And my brother lived next door to one name, a guy named Frank Hamilton that was a farmer. And Frank had felt the roof <coughs> over, they had a big two-story house over there in 15's first step, and, and messed his back all up and he was off on light duty. And I was working for myself then, building, and mm -hmm. I went to my brother's one day and Frank was over there and he said, what are you doing home? I said, well, we got rained out. He said, rained out? And he, I said, yeah. And he said, you mean you don't work, you don't get paid? And I said, that's right. And he said, you ever thought about being a fireman? And I said, no, I, I never thought about it, Frank. But he said, well, let me tell you, it's a good job. You need to go down and sign up. And that back then, that's when they had the administration was downtown, the old, old ones. Oh, my, okay. Yeah, and Wilson Bailey was the man down there then. Who was? Wilkes Bailey. So, anyway. Uh, what year was this? That was in about 70, let's see, I won 
77 is when I went to work for the fire department. And that was about three years before, about 72, 71 or 72. So anyway, I didn't go down there. And, and the next day or two, it rained us out again. And I was back over my brothers and his over there. He said, you go down and sign up for the fire department? And I said, no, Frank, I didn't. I got busy and I didn't go. And he said, well, let me tell you something. The next time I see you, if you hadn't signed up, I'm going to hook your ass all the way back to Lancaster. <laughs> and that's from Red Oak. And Dale said, and he'll do it too. So the next day I went down there and signed up. Bailey told me, he said, I said, I get through, I said, Cap, I said, how long do you think it's going to be before I, I hear from the fire department? He said, I hate to tell you this, but it's going to be quite a long while. I said, what, six weeks or so? And he said, no, I'm talking about years. They had the three lists. They had the black and the white and the brown. And they all got priority over the whites. And when you when you signed up, they put your name on the bottom of the list. Billy knows about that. He wore Bailey out. And Bailey finally said, put his name on top. <laughs> but whenever they hired a class or took, the, you know, then they'd, you'd move up. That's, that's how you, and it took me three and a half years to get on. Mm -hmm. But the best three and a half years weight that I have ever had on anything. Did you just keep building houses during that time? Or? Yeah, wherever I could, building houses. You took the old physical jelly test, right? Yeah. How hard was it? It was the hardest thing I ever did in my whole life. And you these guys took time? it too. Huh? You set the record for it? Well, they told me I did anyway. And how long did you hold that record? For several years. They had a bunch of football boys come out there and, and they didn't get close. I did it in 180 seconds, I think. That's back when Williford called me a liar one day on that deal. Oh, really? Yeah, I, he was one of my instructors. We were out there in the kitchen, you know, and talking. And, and old David, uh, not David, but Jenny Bates had told one of them, said, yo, Hoggy had scored one of the highest scores ever scored out there on that PT test. And, he said, what, how, what was it? And I said, 180 seconds. And Hack said, you liar. Nobody's ever scored 180 seconds on it. And I said, well, that's what they told me anyway, Chief. And he said, well, you're lying about it. So anyway, <laughs> I went in there and got on the phone and I called a guy that had his of, uh, civil service. I forgot his name. And I asked him and he said, yeah, you did it in 180 seconds. So anyway. Did Hack believe you then? No, I never did tell him. No. But <laughs> it didn't matter. It, Right. It meant something to me. It was sure. like winning a gold medal in the Olympics, I guess. Cause <laughs> you did win a gold medal, more or less, uh, yeah. with that, by getting on, right? Yeah. We all did. I think. Yeah, and uh, well, uh, Perry Porter, man, David Barber said it with him when he was sick and dying in the hospital. David relieved me, and David was with him when he passed away. But anyway, we were talking, and, and uh, Perry said something about, you know, he was out there in training. Him and David were talking, said something, and Perry told him, he said, that ball right there, said he was, uh, he he got on and he did what he was supposed to do and he's going to be a good farmer. And he said, I know because I was his instructor. And he said, uh, for every one of him that gets hired, there's 10 or 12 that don't get hired. So there's everybody's after his job and he made it. <clears throat> so anyway. It makes you feel good when people. Sure. It's heck of a compliment. Yeah, it was. He passed away that night and David was with him. I got choked up. <laughs> since, I, since, you since I've had that stroke, I can't 
talk about sentimental stuff. Yeah. I know it's hard. Since I retired from the fire department, yeah, teared up about this or that than I did my whole <clears> life <throat> before, honestly. Yeah, me too. You mentioned David Barber. How did y'all become friends? Through Larry Massengill. No, what I, no I'll take that back. David? I went to 25s and David was my lieutenant over there. Did you do something to him and y'all started hanging out after that? Shortly after? Chicken house fire? Chicken? Oh, yeah. Well, I swung to 38s and we had a fire in one of them chicken houses down there in Reese Fire. And I did At a restaurant? Yeah. Okay. And them boys on 38 truck said, come here, Rook. And they got the the window open, the, the outer window, you know. Mm-hmm. And they shoved me through it, and it was old Hutch and Paul Arnett and a bunch of them old outlaws from old 23s. Mm-hmm. They shoved me through the window there and gave me the high pressure. Went in there, and of course, there's a bunch of grease on fire. And I didn't see David come in. David, they finally got the door open, and he walked in, and I had that grease with that nozzle and it blew that hot grease up on him and he's got still got scars on his neck or burning <laughs> blisters on his neck. <laughs> yeah. I never heard that one. Was he cussing you then? Was he cussing so, you then? Sir? Was he cussing you then? Uh, if he would, no, David never did do anything like that. He was, David's one of the most honest guys you'll ever meet in your whole life yeah. and he wouldn't say anything bad about anybody. After we got to know each other, he called me a few names, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, David's a fine man, good fireman. I don't know that I've ever met him. Good friend. Why don't you just throw a cigarette in the fire? Yeah, don't throw a cigarette in the cooking fire. You say something then. The hog hunt? Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, or trash, anything trash in the yeah. cooking fire. Yeah. But they got a place, he bought a place over in Resist Springs, south of Brownwood. But anyway, I went, I went to 25, we started shooting bows and stuff there. And we got Larry Massinger, Larry Massinger was there and his brother Woody was working down south on a hunt ranch down there for the hunts. And they got us in bow hunting down there and we went down there and bow hunting. And that's how I met Woody, which was Larry's brother. Yeah. And we all got to be good friends. Still friends today, sounds like. Yeah, oh, he just left, what, the day before yesterday, he and his wife. I teased his wife about being my cousin because she, she was a Rhodes, was her maiden name. And I tell Woody, I said, you don't be treating me bad because you're my cousin too. <laughs> and we're kinfolks, you don't treat the kinfolks bad. That's but, funny. So you got on the fire department in 77? 77, yeah. Okay. And then, were you in Oak Cliff most of that time? Yeah, I was. I went to 52s out of rookie school, and they, Ronnie James came to me and he said, man, I hate to do this to you, but that's where you're going. And he said, I want you to go to 15 truck and get some truck schooling over there from Jack Wright. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but he said, they killed it downtown. So I go to 52s and you'll learn some out there. There's some good farming out there. Yeah. And uh, you got to have a good captain. He said that chief is terrible, but the rest of them are all right. Which he didn't like Chief Henderson, but I loved him. And everybody that I know that named mm-hmm. liked him, except Ronnie and him and Ronnie had a Ronnie in. So what district something. was 52s in back then? It was in five, six district. Six, okay, yeah. still six. I went from 52s. 
to the alarm office. I went down there kicking and screaming, but I really learned a lot down there. Mm -hmm. They sent four of us down there, me and Sam Connor and Mike Holloway and David Evans and Hickey and Tipton were the chiefs down there and they took us and gave us a talk and they said, it'll be forever for y'all to get out of here. Except Hoggett. They said, which one of y'all are Hoggett? And I said, that's me. And I said, well, I'm fixing to get fired, I guess. And he said, you're on the second driver list. You'll get, you'll be promoted and that's the only way you're going to get out of here until you serve at least two years. Mm -hmm. And old H.C. Stinson said, yeah, that's right. I've been down here for six. And H.C. <laughs> sat in the six hole over there and sweat rings had come all the way out to his buttons. <laughs> and anyway, I was the first one to leave and then it wasn't long. Holloway left. And then Sam Connors left. Holloway went to, he made second driver to him, went to 25s, B shift. And Connors went to paramedic school. Evitz was the only one that stayed for, I don't know how long, yeah. long time. But I learned a lot down there about the way things, mm -hmm. I, you know, I worked. Where was dispatch then? It was at the new city hall, that, okay. in the basement of the new city hall. Same yeah. place. So when you got out of the alarm office, where did you go? I went to 25s. Chumney called me, and I worked with him at 52s. And he called me and he said, hey, the driver over here, I'm a second driver over here, fishing to make driver. You need to write a letter for his hole. Of course, being down there, you know where they were having the fires. Mm -hmm. 25s, every shift would have at least one fire, yeah. you know, coming out the roof or out the windows or bloomed out. And so I did. I wrote a letter for Shilke's hole, and he made driver. I got his spot. What year was this? That was in 80, I think, I went over there. And I stayed there for my whole career, 25. You did a little time at 14, too, didn't you? Was that before the alarm office? Yeah, that's where I went to the alarm office from, 14. 52s to 14s, alarm yeah. office, and the 25s? Henderson came by there one day and he said, write a letter down to 14th for Gene Arthur Tyler's home. He said, I'm fixing, he's fixing to leave. And I said, yeah, where's he going? He said, I'm going to fire him if they don't get him out of there. <laughs> and he, uh, he did. He left and I wrote the letter. I said, Chief, I don't have enough time to write the letter. And he said, you see these? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, you know what they are? And I said, yes, sir. You're the chief. And he said, I said, write the letter. And I wrote it. And, he took it in there and gave it to Cap, and Cap signed it, and it wasn't long, I was at 14th. The chief had moved from 52s to 14s then, and Chimney was the second driver on the chief's car, and he went with him, and we had a ball, and he got me in some pretty hairy fires, and yeah. I learned a lot from him, too. I so what, what was firefighting like back then? Because you had, you still have cotton gloves? Yeah, we had the cotton gloves, and we had no... Sling tight, fifteen minute mask. Kind of a plasticky helmet. Not much of a helmet, or was it a decent? Yeah, it was plastic. Fiberglass, I guess. Al's got it, I think, over his house. But uh, the big change was the mask when we went to the back. Scott, our backpacks. Mm -hmm. We didn't have them sling masks. There's several firemen got their teeth knocked out with them sling masks, standing next to somebody putting it on. Yeah, is that what happened to all your teeth? No, mine just <laughs> fell out. <laughs> that's, that's another story, but no, I, I, I just uh, had some kind of gum disease whenever I was younger. I just they, uh, they all got loose. Yeah. Well. 
I pulled a couple of them myself, and the dentist told me, he said, don't you pull any more of your teeth. I'll have to report you to the American Medical Association. And I said, for what? He said, practicing dentistry without glasses. So, at some point in this process, um, it sounds like you remarried. Yeah, I did. When was all this? When did all this take place? Seventy-six. Six. So before you got on the fire department. Yeah, we were just, we were it just started dating, and then it was before I went to work for the fire department. And she's the love of my life. What is that young lady's name? Her name is Linda Karen Ellis Hoggett. Ellis Hoggett. Where did she grow up? She grew up, at, well, she went to Wilmer Hutchinson, and then they bought a house over in DeSoto, and then she went to Carver. Well, that's where she graduated from. How'd y'all meet? At church and in a baseball game. What do, you, was, what do you remember about the first time you saw her or spoke with her or met her? Well, that's, that's another story. I, I got the divorce and I was living by myself in an apartment over there in Minnesota. And going, of course, going to church over there. And her mother kept the nursery and she would go in and help her mother some. And I had my Justin on some Sundays and I always took him to church. And, and I just got to meet her through that, through Justin in, in the nursery there. Mm-hmm. And uh, she had knee surgery and she was on crutches and had cast on her knees and, and both uh, knees. Yeah, really. Man, I lost everything in my divorce. I didn't have nothing. I didn't have a car or a truck or no way of transportation until my ex-wife gave up the car. And then I got it because she, she couldn't pay for it. But anyway, I'd ride to work with a friend of mine, David Cousins. He lived down the street from us, and we were talking one day going to work. And he said, "You need to get out and meet somebody." Stop being by yourself. And I said, no. I said, I already met the woman I'm going to marry. He said, do what? I said, yeah, I already met her. And he said, well, who is it? And I told him who she was. And he said, does she know it? And I said, no, I ain't never had a date with her. <laughs> but I'm going to have one. So that's a, David and his wife and me, we'd always go to Waxahachie and help decorate one of my aunt's houses for Christmas. And we'd have a big Christmas party down there. And, I, and he said, you ought to ask her to go with us down to my mom's and papa's. And I said, I am. So much church that Sunday, and I got cold feet, and I didn't ask her. That's hard and, to do, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> I, mean, I hadn't dated in years, you know. Yeah. So anyway, he said, did you call that girl or ask her to go? And I said, no, I didn't. And he said, well, call her right now. And I said, well, she ain't going to go. You know, this is late. And I called her, and I said, I said, hey, you want to go to Waxahachie with me and David and Linda and help us decorate Francis' house? She said, sure. It went from there. What'd you do when you hung up the phone? I got ready. We went and picked her up. <laughs> oh, so it was right then. We were yeah, going right now. Right. We're going to pick you up. Yeah, we'll be there. Okay. And her daddy was, you know, I was kind of, uh, I wasn't afraid of him, but I was, I guess I was. He's a big man. I was respectful. He was a big man and deacon in the church, and I didn't know how he would take to a diverse guy dating his daughter. Mm-hmm. But we got along great. Had good in-laws. Did you get a chance to speak with him or her, her mom or her I parents tried. before y'all left? Or would you? Well, I, I talked to him every Sunday, you know, but he, okay. I could see when he took. The whole dynamic changes now since yeah. you pick her up for a date. It did. 
because uh, my mother-in-law's mother had a lot in Oak Cliff over there off of Michigan, and he had to go mow it every once in a while. So he was going to go over one Saturday and mow it, and I said, I'll go over and help you. And he said, okay. But that, then I got a vehicle that I could drive. So I went over and, and uh, got with him, and we went over there. And when I got to his house, he had a riding lawnmower in the back of his truck and a push mower. Mm -hmm. And the riding lawnmower wasn't one of the real big ones, but it was a pretty heavy lawnmower. Mm -hmm. I already loaded in the truck. I told Linda, I said, now don't tell him that when we're out together, I'm going to ask him for your hand in marriage. And she said, well, you don't have to do that. And I said, yeah, I do. That's the, the right thing to do. So we went over and mowed. And when we got there, I jumped out, you know, and my chest all stuck out and went around. Got the tailgate and I grabbed that push mower and I pulled it out and set it on the ground and looked over at him. He reached over to the side of that truck and grabbed that riding mower, picked it up and <laughs> set it down on the ground. Well, maybe I won't ask him today. <laughs> anyway, just before we got to the house, to his house, I finally got enough courage to ask him. I said, so the whole time you... You unloaded, you mow the yard, yeah. and then you're driving back, and you're, this window of opportunity is starting to close, and you're thinking, I got yeah, to do it. And finally, I just, I just did. I said, hey, I said, if it's all right with you and Dorothy, I said, I want to marry your daughter. He said, well, you ain't marrying me, so I guess it's all right. <laughs> but he said, the only thing that I can tell you is if y'all get a chance to get that boy, my ex-wife still had my son, and you don't do it, then you're going to have me on you. We dated for about three months and then got married. What year? What year was this? Seventy-six. Seventy-six. You said got married seventy-six. First date was December seventh. December seventh. Pearl Harbor Day. Got married April seventy-six. Yeah. <clears throat> April what? April second. Not April Fool's Day. Yeah. <laughs> we already had some of them in the family. Then <laughs> <laughs> had a cousin. They got married on April Fool. Oh really? That's awesome. But I was at 25 when Al was born. And what's his, now, what's his given name? It was Jack. You were in rookie school when Al was born. Yeah, I was in rookie school when Al was born. Okay. And then. What's his given name? Burl Alton. Burl Alton. Is he named after anybody? Or? My daddy and her daddy. Okay. Mine was, my daddy's was Burl Lee and her daddy was Lauren Alton. Okay. Everybody calls him Al, except sometimes they call him Burl. Most people have to call him Chief now. Yeah. Yeah. Cheap pal. <laughs> well, honey, anybody can, if a hoggit can do it, anybody can. <laughs> no, he worked hard for it, but. And then you got another son. Yeah. Jake was born in, you were born in 82? 81. 81. And I was 25 then. Mm -hmm. He was in the fire station before he was at home. Really? Yeah, we left the hospital and. I went by the fire station to show him off. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> you tried to leave me there. Mickey said, I don't want none of them hanging around here. <laughs> so Mickey, Mickey, who was... Mickey Hancock. He was your captain way back way back then, huh? Yeah. Quite a quite a storied career on the fire department. Oh, yeah, he did. He was... Individually, he was a sorry individual, but he was a really good fireman. Yeah. A good captain. So run off the, the big influences on the fire department. You were at 25s, I guess, for a long time until you retired in 2008, correct? Yeah. And so just run off, rattle off some of the names of the guys or the people that influenced you. And 
I had a bunch of people that influenced me in the fire department, but Roger Chumley was one down on my level. He was the second driver on Battalion 6. Uh, J.P. Henderson was, was my chief. Fine man. And uh, from there, and then everybody, I, all my superiors, you and Ray O'Dell and Rudy. I told somebody, I said, you make friends in the fire department forever. Right. I said, I have a bunch of them. It's hard to leave that, isn't it? That's the hardest part about leaving. Yeah. A lot of them yeah. guys help raise us. Yeah, they all, we, we, we've done things together, you know, when we hunted and fished, and we take the boys and mm -hmm. David and Chumley. And Roger Chumley is our second dad, Yeah, legally. He lost, he lost us in a bet. I lost him, my kids <laughs> during the bet. But I got his money. <laughs> he paid me. Over M&M's. What happened? He said something. We were eating. Somebody was eating M&M's, and they said something about a red M&M, and I said, they don't have any red M&M's. Back then, they had that red dye scare, you know, it was supposed to cause cancer or something. Right. And at that particular time, they didn't have red M&M's except for uh, Christmas. And he said, no, they got red, everybody's got red <laughs> no. M&M's. And I said, I bet you $20 they don't. And he said, okay. We went down to 7-Eleven and bought a package and there was no red ones in it. But the next week was close to Christmas and they came out with red M&M's and, and of course he had, he carried me pretty high. <laughs> That's all right said, to cause cancer around Christmas. Yeah. I, I bet $20 in my kids. There ain't no yeah, red. $20 in my kids. There ain't no red. <laughs> and when he showed me that red, and I said, well, give me my $20, but you can have the kids. <laughs> and he said, no, I don't want that deal either. <clears throat> it was a big influence yeah. in my life. Him and there was a bunch. Yeah. Everybody I came in contact with that, would, that worked for a living or supervisors. Mm-hmm. I liked all of them. And when I went from the alarm office to 25, Perry Parker was the battalion chief over there. Then I got to work with him some more. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Joe Camp and then Jerry uh, Graves, who was the chief when, when you retired, Paul. Linda Stanball. Yeah. yeah. There was some guy there named Bubba, too, or I don't know. Yeah. You worked with him for a pretty good while. Buffalo Butt, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did. He came over there when David Barber left and went to 46, Squad 46. Bubba came over there. Okay. James Baker is his real name, but everybody called him Bubba. He's a good guy. Well, he is a good guy. Fun to work around. Yeah, he was. I remember that night he, they refused to run to go over to the VA hospital in the gas leak. They'd already been over twice and they knew what it was. And, and uh, anyway, Bubba said they gave him the run to go back over and he, engine 25 was clearing the house. And, at that time, the main line ring was for Chief Fisher. He came over and he said, Bubba, don't tell me you refused to run. And he said, well, Chief, we'd been over there two times already. We knew what it was. And he said, that don't matter. <laughs> Mickey come over there. No, Mickey, that time is when he was going to saw that tree down with that guy. Because <laughs> that chainsaw. That's one way to get him out of there. Yeah. Oh, Taylor told him, he said, Bubba, he said, you better call the chief and get him over here on this where you saw that tree down with that guy in it. He said, well, the cops told me to do it. He said, them cops, you don't work for them. So he called, and Mickey happened to be riding the seat in the car then. He comes over, and they told him, everybody told him what happened. 
He told Bobby, he said, Bobby, you've been watching too much TV. <laughs> <laughs> but they had it about halfway cut down, I think, before they really? started. So he had, the, the cutting had actually started. Yeah. Wow. That's bold. Bubba was known for his bold decisions. Washed off his blood. That's the way I remember the story anyway. Yeah. And I heard it. Of course, you know how farming are when they tell the stories. There's a lot of stories. But I remember I, the one where you, uh, you missed a run. Oh, yeah. I, I and then you, you were saying, I, bullshit, I didn't miss no run. Yeah. And then the next run we had was a pedestrian struck yeah. in the middle of the street. And we get down there, and it's somebody called it in because it's all your gears laying in the street with a flashing, <laughs> flashing red pass device. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he said, well, damn, I guess I did miss a run. <laughs> But we found your coat and yeah, uh, turned in the flashlight. Yeah, all my equipment was there, the radio and all that. I'd have got fired for that for sure. No, you'd have been fired a long time ago. If it fired. Anyway, that was I sure didn't remember. I didn't hear nothing. Yeah, I did it a couple of times. You can get pretty tired, and uh, it's amazing what doesn't wake you up. Uh, some of those nights at a place like Twenty Five or any busy station. Yes, yeah, sir. When you um, you run all night. It really is amazing how you meet people through the fire department, and yes. it's not like it's a big chunk of your world just revolves around that job and those people. Yeah. And, um, you know, the I've been retired, whatever, 15, 16 months now, and it's, you know, it's every day I think about something or somebody and miss stuff, and, you know, there's stuff I don't miss, obviously, but That's it's hard to... Find a replacement for the relationships that you had. Uh, I don't think you're going to. I think you're right. Because, I mean, the friendship. My dad told me one time he came home from work and there was a bunch of us out in the yard wrestling and playing, you know. And that night he told me, he said, Boy, he said, you got a lot of friends, don't you? And I said, Yes, sir, I do. He said, Well, let me tell you. The older you get, the fewer friends you'll have. But the ones that you have, they're friends. They'll be your friends for life. He was right. Did he give you any other good advice, or have you passed on any good advice? I know you got a lot of quotes, um, <laughs> quotable quotes, unquotable quotes, that sort of thing. But if a hoggett from the future is listening to this episode and first time they are the only thing they'll ever hear of your actual voice, what would you like to tell them about how to live and how to be? and Just be honest and... and Trust in the Lord, and he'll guide you through it. It's helped me. We're sitting right here now because God let, let us down here. There's yeah. no doubt in my mind. Yeah. He opened all the doors. He made it easy for us to buy this place and meet the friends we met in, in the church, and that's my advice. Well, it seems like you've had a good life, and I hope it's a lot longer. And... I don't think of anything I'd change in my life. Maybe a few things, but not many. <laughs> Nothing in the fire department would I change. Yeah. I had so much fun. And Barbara used to say, man, you believe they passed for this? <laughs> I've gone home in the morning and my ribs would be so sore from oh, laughing. laughing. Yeah, that's, I miss the young guys. I miss the old guys. I mean, just everything. Yeah. 90% of the stuff. That's, that's what I missed about all of it was yeah. the people. Yeah.
I didn't miss all the stuff from downtown, uh-huh. all the bickering and all that. Yeah. And that was the nice thing about being at 25s. The bell's going to hit in just a minute, so yeah. you can be getting your ass eat out for one thing or another, but the bell's fixing to hit, and we're going to make runs. I got memories, but I tell you, and, and then a lot of times when we get together, the farmer get together, like at the hog hunter anywhere, start talking about stories and stuff, and it always pops up another memory that it's some mm-hmm. stuff that I had forgotten. Yeah. I remember when they told me Billy was coming over there and I'd been driving the chief a couple of shifts before. And we went to Woods and he was over there. I laid up this man marbles. And he had his shirt tail out and his top collar unbuttoned and had that old long blonde hair. You have a gold necklace hanging out too? Probably. Yeah. Right or wrong, big boy. Big dog. Huh? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe that was it. And, and they told me, he said, Whose place did you take? I said, this guy named Terman's coming over. And I said, Terman? Man, we don't want him. I saw him over <laughs> once. And I said, we, want some, we want somebody that's a fire burner. Yeah. And then the first thing that happened when, we, when he got over to 25 is they kicked me off my, the fan. I wasn't a fan man anymore. And they made him, the, no, pull the ceiling. They made him the ceiling puller. Yeah. Put me on the fan. What do you have to say about that? Wasn't much I could say. No, I know you, it may not have done any good, but you had something to say about it. Yeah, well, I ain't wore out yet. I can still do that job. <laughs> yeah, you could. Yeah, you could. You know, I'd never heard of Ronnie Hoggett when I, I'd never been assigned to Oak Cliff. I'd been all over other parts of the city, but I knew you were a firefighter of the year and never heard of you and. I knew Jamie a little bit from being at sixes when he was at 24s, and I'd heard of Billy Terman. I was scared of Billy Terman. I yeah. was going to get my ass whipped uh, <laughs> over something. Yeah. But um, it seemed like more than three years that I was there with you. Uh, I got there in 2005, and you left in 2008. But um, it was a memorable three years. There were a lot of quotes in the quote book from you that are still there today in the food locker, as far as I know, at 25s. Well, and I remember when the first fire we had, you and I had together, you was riding the city on the chief's car, and the fire was over there off of Fordham or somewhere over in one of them little houses and had burglar bars on the house. Okay. And then, of course, it was all locked up, and I got a bar off the truck and went up there and popped them at one of them, and it just one of those, it, the whole thing just came off, and mm-hmm. you said, we get back to the station, I want some burger bar screw. <laughs> I said, well, there'll be plenty of them because every house over here has got them. Yeah. But it was just one of those deals where it was ready to come off anyway. Yeah. I could have pulled it off by hand. But Such a big influence in, I mean, three years is a pretty good time, but um, I credit you with helping me. I always say when I got to 25, that's when my fire department career, a lot of the learning that I eventually was able to do took place and uh, you were a big part of that and I really was honored to Well all of these these two guys right here were a big part of it. Cap they were always ready to help There's a lot of good crews at twenty fives over yeah. the years on all three shifts. I would pitch that truck crew up against anybody in the city several times. It was a great career and yep. it's great working with you, Ronnie, and yeah. I hope you get to Henderson County, Texas sometime soon. Yeah, get I Get that do. shop cleaned out. Yeah. Shops, <laughs> buildings, all that stuff cleaned out. 
Well, I'm who's going to help you pack to... all this stuff to move down there? Who's going to help Are you going to downsize or y'all? Looking... Yeah, we're going to downsize. Okay. Yeah, uh, you'll be hearing from me. We get this thing sold. We're going to. Uh, you'll okay. be hearing from me. That'd be great. We'd love to have you close by and be able to see you a lot more often because it took me about I know. seemed like twelve hour drive to get here. I never morning. figured I'd see this. Then y'all were supposed to be here about six years ago. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> a long time anyway. We see yeah. you every year at the all gun. Yeah, yeah but they ain't like coming here and fishing and I agree, I know it. They they just retired a year ago. And I, I thought that was great too, you know, just to go together yeah, you know, the last three. 25s that I worked with on all three shifts. It was really good. It yeah. was really good. Yeah. It was a, a great way to, to end a career doing something you really love. So. Yep. Yeah. I mean, people ask me, what would you be doing if you hadn't been a fireman? I said, well, I'd probably be in jail. I've said that too. Oh, Frank, I was a pallbearer at his funeral. He died too young, but he was a he was a good neighbor to my brother. And of course, everybody from Bailey on on up to Lyon were good people. Thanks for hanging out with me today, Ronnie. Thanks for telling us your story. And well, whoever gets to hear this, whenever they get to hear it. Thank you, Cap, for, and y'all for coming in. I passed up a good golf game today, and I told him, I said, I'm going to go see an actual hero today. So I got to go visit that guy. Somebody said, well, that's a hell of a lot better than playing golf. I said, if you knew this guy, you'd understand why we were going. You're a true hero, though. You're the real deal. We didn't even talk about Firefighter of the Year. Who turned you in for that? They yeah, can't he see didn't Jamie got it started. They can't see you fingers. Who did it? Jamie Jordan got it started, I think, pretty sure. Yeah. That means more to me than any award you could get down there because it comes from the people you work with. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. those other awards just, you know, let's give it to Maxie Bishop, because he's, you know, Maxie's, everybody knows Maxie, let's give it to him. You know, I, I came on right when you retired, and we never got to work, but you worked with him, you taught him, and him, and him, and I went to work at 25s, and they taught me. Yep. Yeah. So by proxy, you taught me. Well, I learned from all three of those guys a lot. Yeah, yeah all the bad habits, I picked yeah. them up too. That's the bad thing. Y'all corrupted my son. You know that. Especially <laughs> big dog over there. He was an angel before but, he got to 25. Yeah, that was funny. Yeah, night, one night, Billy's boys come over there, and uh, was a few times I was riding the cedar on the engine, and we had a run down at 550 Ann Arbor. Mm -hmm. And there's an old lady in there, and she's having some problems. And we went in, and, and uh, which boy was it? Was it Zach? Yeah. He went in with us, and of course, the ambulance hadn't got there yet, but. He was standing beside the bed, and the ambulance got there, and I, and I told him, I said, Zach, go right up to the end of the bed where you can see what they're doing, and, you know, because he was interested in being a fireman. Well, she crashed, and, I mean, they started to do CPR on her, and I said, well, hold on just a minute. She had cancer or something yeah. before, and I asked the attendant that was there, I said, did she get a DNR? And he said, I don't know, let me look, and he went through his file, and he said, yes, she does, and I said, let's go, boys. I told Billy, I said, we probably scarred him for life. <laughs> First, he got to see a, a dead woman, and yeah. she died right there in front of us, you know. that I remember that one, and I remember Frank Guy's brother dying on an approach at 25s, old 25s. Really? He's having chest pains, and his wife brought him up there, and we used uh, the paddles on him, and 
defibrillator. Yeah. And I think 738 was running on him, and when they got there, he had already crashed, and we were CPR on him, and he and died, and we told Frank. Who was this? Frank Guy. You, do you know Frank? I did not. I think he was working at 54s then. That was kind of tough. Yeah, I bet so. A lot of tough stuff. Yeah. Over the years. I was painting the gas pumps one day out there at Old 25s, and I looked up and here comes a funeral procession down out there in front of the fire station, and it was for uh, Charlie Rogers and Ed Matter. Oh, really? Yeah. That was a sad time. Yeah. I guess it was the first two that we lost while I was working. 80 or 81? 80. You asked their names in the... Yeah. You were doing of concrete, you put their names in there. That's what I was doing, was finishing concrete. Yeah. Stayed there until they tore that station down. Yeah. And I had just worked with old Charlie Rogers a couple of shifts before, old 15s, I swung over there. Mm -hmm. And he was there. And we rode a truck together. Yeah. Charlie was a good good guy, good hand, and good fireman. Then I worked with so many good firemen, but I worked with some bad ones too. Sure. <laughs> Don't mention those names. <laughs> yeah. No, I won't say anything about that. Yeah. I'd be like old Will Rogers. You can't say anything good about right. somebody don't say anything at all. Well, I'm glad we got to hang out with you today, Ronnie. Well, y'all just been... not enough time. You all should have spent the night. Well, we could have stayed up look for the and look for the lights. You do have plenty of beds here. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't realize it was set up as. And we got an auction. To kind of a so hotel. Yeah. 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 We had uh, we slept over 30 people. I think. Really. At Christmas time. Wow. We got. Our mattresses we put in. One time, yeah. back the tornado, a hurricane hit down south. Hurricane Rita. Yeah. My sister called me. She lived in Carpus, and Justin and Robin did too. My sister called me. And she said, "We're going to the ranch. That you know they're going. That hurricane's supposed to hit." So I said, "Okay, I'm be down there tomorrow." I had a day off or something. Anyway, I came down here, and when I got here. Justin called, and he said, hey, Dad, he said, it's a mandatory evacuation. We're coming to the ranch. And I said, okay, Juan Fern and Deborah and they're still already here, so come on. He said, would, would you mind if I brought some of the people I work with and they can't find a place to go to stay? And I said, no, tell them to come on. Before it was over with, there was about 35 of them who showed up. Dogs, cats, turtles, <laughs> parents. <laughs> And we had them laying everywhere. Yeah. And I got up the next morning and went outside. And that was the, is this this house or the old house? The old house. Yeah. Okay. And uh, there was two women and a little girl sleeping under the street light out there. Really? And I made them come in the house and mix that night. It was funny. To, it wasn't funny, but it was to see the look on their face of devastation about like not knowing what's going on down there. Mm -hmm. They come up here to a place where they've never been, and then they're going back to what, you know, if the thing hit, but luckily it didn't hit. But yeah. I never heard a crossword out of anybody and it, those, while they were here. I'm sure they were thankful. Yeah. Well, there was one man, and the rest of them were women and children. And yeah. Him and his wife went to Stephenville and bought a bunch of groceries and come out here, and we ate good. And, there was one lady standing at the sink washing dishes and she had a big old purse and there was a dog in the purse. <laughs> his head sticking out and I punched uh, Justin and I said, who is that? He said, I don't know. I think they picked her up. It's a step and go. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs>
But she was helping. Yeah. Well, you're a good guy with a big heart. Well. And we sure love you. Well, the feeling's mutual, Cap. It really is. I love y'all and everything about you. I've been around y'all all the time. Most of the people that I know down here know y'all. Well, y'all need to find something better to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna come get a hug. Well, there ain't nothing any better to talk about or to, or to talk. You know? Got a good memory. I, all those names he can remember and everything. Oh, oh, you know, I ought to write all that down too, cause well, yeah. I can rem remember back a long time, but I can't remember what happened yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> I think that happens to all of us. Yeah. People laugh at me, but I remember when they took me off the bottle. <laughs> off the bottle. <laughs> off the bottle. Here here I was thinking like liquor. <laughs> no. All right. Talking about the baby bottle. That was about 10 years ago. How old was you? 10? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> must have been pretty old to remember <laughs> right. that far. But I had an uncle that was my mother's brother. He was a character. But he's always playing jokes and stuff. And my bottle was a Coke bottle with a nipple stretched over there. <laughs> and they couldn't afford a regular baby bottle. What was in the but Coke bottle? Milk. Oh, okay. But anyway, he was come in one night and he said, boy, you're too old to be sucking that bottle. Let me have that thing. And they gave it to him and he made it disappear. And that was when I... You had to go big say he's going to the 7th grade. He took the milk bottle away and gave him a cigarette. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Ronnie Hoggett. It's a heck of a man. He's got a heck of a story. And like I said, thanks for sharing it.